Well, good evening. My name is Misty Denman. I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. I love summer women in the word just because it provides such a great respite from the long break between um, the end of the spring semester and the beginning of the fall. This is always one of my uh, favorite things that I get to do during the summer. I know for some of us, summer is a time where we get out of our normal routine, sort of take a break from the everyday, do some different things. And for some of us, summer is absolutely business as usual. So how many of us get to do sort of have a, a different sort of life during the summer than during the school year, okay? Or, yeah, school year. And then how many of us, it's like the same old, same old during the summer, okay? I know one of the hardest adjustments for me when I became a mom was how summer was exactly the same as every other day of the year, just really hot, because <laughs> I had been either a student or a teacher my entire life up to that point, and for teachers and students, summer is different and special, and the, I had my first son in the late spring, and I think I was too tired that first summer to really notice what season it was, but by the time that second summer came around, it was sort of a hard adjustment for me to come to terms with the fact that my summers weren't really mine anymore for a long, long time, um, and I got over it because you have to, and kids are fun in a different way than getting delayed by a pool, and um, <laughs> I have a... I have a great friend, she's young, and she taught me this new phrase within the last year. She likes to say, adulting is hard. And um, I had never heard adult used as a verb before, so the first time she said that, I totally laughed, and now I love that phrase. Adulting is hard. And um, it was hard when I first had kids, it's hard in many ways now. And because adulting is hard, um, I just am praying that our time together tonight will be an encouragement as we look at ways that God reaches out to us and how we get to draw close to him as well. Tonight, we're eavesdropping on a conversation between God and Daniel. And like the other conversations and prayers we've eavesdropped on this summer, we're only privy to this one little slice of conversation so, we all know that having context is helpful if you're going to just eavesdrop on a portion of conversation. So, before we go any further, let's talk about who Daniel is and what led him to pray this really deeply heartfelt prayer of conf confession and seeking God's mercy um, in Daniel chapter 9. The book of Daniel was written by and about Daniel. He's one of the great men of the Old Testament, really, of the entire Bible. About half of the book of Daniel records some key events in his life, and the other half records these prophetic visions that he had that foretold both Israel's near future, which has now already come to pass, and the distant future, which will happen at the end times. The chapters in Daniel span about 70 years. They start in 605 BC, and the book opens with this military conquest of Jerusalem by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And after Nebuchadnezzar defeats Jerusalem, he captures a group of Jewish nobles, takes them back to Babylon, and his intention is to indoctrinate them in the religion and culture of Babylon um, and use them within his court to serve the king. Um, he also had the intention, not just for his own purposes, but to sort of squash the 
um, the culture and the religion of the Jewish, um, um, the nation of the Jews. The ongoing destruction of Jerusalem at the hand of their enemies lasted for almost two decades. And when you read Israel's history in the years leading up to this conquest, it really becomes clear why God allowed um, his people to suffer such defeat. Instead of worshiping the one true God, Israel had been creating man-made idols to worship. Israel had been steeped in rebellion and sin of many kinds for many years. Instead of trusting God to protect them, they had made many alliances with foreign countries who despised their God. Um, Instead of following God's life-giving laws, they had gone their own way in really every, um, in every direction. But God, in his great patience and kindness, did not give up. Instead, he sent a series of prophets, his special messengers, to try to draw his people back to himself. They would come with these messages that said, turn from your sin, come back to God, and he will bless you. Instead of heeding those warnings, they ignored those prophets and continued going their own way. So you just looked, hopefully, at your table discussion time at some passages in Deuteronomy in which God, like any good father, lays out his expectations for his people, um, exactly what he expects from them, how he expects them to behave. And because he's the all-powerful God of the universe, I feel like he could have said, do it my way or else. He's so gracious and kind. He doesn't do that. Instead, he told the people what he expected from them. And then he lays out the incredible blessings that will come through obedience. He also lays out the pretty harsh consequences that will come from disobedience. And because our God is so good, those consequences were never meant to be just arbitrary punishment for God not getting his way. Those hardships were designed to draw his people back to him as they suffered, realizing their wrongs and understanding their deep need for him. Israel's prolonged rebellion has led to God allowing this destruction of Jerusalem. So we'll look at this more closely again in a few minutes. But the prophet Jeremiah had warned the people that this destruction of Jerusalem would happen unless there was repentance. That's the bad news for Israel, but there were bright spots too in this dark period of Israel's history. Even in times of rebellion, God had always preserved a faithful remnant of people, um, of God followers, and Daniel was one of those people. Even though Daniel is an unwilling captive in a foreign country, he followed God wholeheartedly. Many of the stories in Daniel are familiar. Um, The fiery furnace where Daniel's friends weren't burned up, um, that caused King Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge, at least for a while, the one true God. Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den um, because he continually prayed to his God even when the law of the land forbade it. God miraculously protected Daniel in that case as well. Um, That got the attention of the king during that time too, who was named Darius. Under very difficult circumstances, Daniel distinguished himself as a capable and trusted servant of the pagan kings and as a man of great personal faith. By the time we get to this prayer in chapter 9, he already has a lengthy history of stepping out in faith at great personal risk 
And God has blessed him and protected him at every turn. Along the way, Daniel also has interpreted, interpreted the dreams of the different kings that he served under, and he begins to have these God-given visions and dreams of his own. Okay, so now we know who Daniel is, so let's set the stage for this prayer that we're reading. In chapter 8, Daniel has a very mysterious and frightening vision that concerns Israel's future, and the angel Gabriel actually came and interpreted that dream for him because he did not understand it. Look with me on your verse sheet at Daniel 8.27. This is the conclusion of that chapter in which he has this very frightening vision. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. So this was a very um, difficult time for Daniel. So to keep Daniel's sort of state of mind and what he's just been through in mind as we read chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Follow along with me. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was making king who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel who are near and those who are far, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us, by his servants, the prophets. If we go back to verse 1, you can see that Daniel is experiencing this great upheaval in his life. As we said before, at the end of chapter 8, he's had this very um, frightening and disturbing vision about the future. He was literally sickened over it for days. Now, we see that there is this total regime change. The Babylonian king has been overthrown by the Median Empire, Daniel now has a new boss um, who has come into power quickly and by force. He rules absolutely, and he has the authority for for Daniel to live or die, to serve him or be cast out. Daniel's future is really in the hands of this new king. That king will bring with him different culture, different expectations, um, a different personality that Daniel would have to very quickly adapt to were he to survive in this situation. As chapter 9 opens, Daniel could have been a man, I think, paralyzed um, and overwhelmed by the changes in his life. 
but you see no evidence of that paralysis or even any complaining. Daniel used the same tools um, to face the life that he had at that moment as we have available to us. Daniel responded to his hardships by seeking God through the scriptures and prayer. So we have a lot of coping mechanisms available to us, um, but I think even if Daniel had the ability to binge watch Netflix or shop online or my personal favorite, which is going to Sonic and getting one of their crazy delicious ice cream shakes, he would have still gone straight to his God. He would have found hope and peace as he poured over the scriptures and prayed. And here's the truth. In every one of the conversations between God and his people that we are studying this summer, it is God who initiates that conversation and that relationship with his people. God started this conversation with Daniel through his word. And God's word provided Daniel with understanding and with hope in this really hard time. Look with me at verse 2. Just look back with me at that one. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So when Daniel says in the books according to the prophet Jeremiah, that means he was reading the same Jeremiah that's in our Bibles today. Before there was a formal book put together like this, there would have been individual books or scrolls. Um, that would have been carefully recorded. And Daniel understood that what the prophet Jeremiah had written was the inspired word of God. And that is what he was going back to. But I think it's really so fun that he was reading the same Jeremiah that we have um, in our Bibles today. Jeremiah was one of those prophets that we talked about earlier, sent by God to his people to turn their hearts back to him. Listen to what Jeremiah had told the people in uh, verse, uh, chapter 25, verses 3 and 4. It's on your verse sheet. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets. Jeremiah was a patient man. 23 years is a long time to plead for the people to turn their hearts back to God. Um, the people were stubborn, however. So look with me um, at the next couple of verses that we have listed on the verse sheet, um, verses 11 and 12. This is where Daniel will understand where the 70 years comes from. This whole land shall become a ruin and a, ra- a waste, and these nations, that means the tribes of Israel, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. As Jeremiah had predicted, Israel's discipline came in the form of being utterly defeated by the Babylonians, but there is hope because Jeremiah had also prophesied that Israel would be subject to this foreign king, not forever, but for a period of 70 years. As Daniel reads Jeremiah, he realizes, based on when that captivity began, that that 70-year period is now coming close to ending. And that is what prompts him to pray as he does here. I love the phrase in verse 3 that says, I turned my face to God. Just 
Think about times where you might have been in a jam of some sort and you sort of instinctively turn your face to somebody near you that can help you out of that situation. I kept thinking over and over in my head of um, these times, and there haven't been a lot of them, but they really stick out in my memory where like, I've had to be at like a, a dinner table with either people you don't know very well or maybe distant relatives at some kind of family function or whatever, and somebody says something at the table that's like, crazy, uncomfortable, or inappropriate, or whatever, and my reaction every time is just to freeze. I have no idea what to say or do, and on occasion, I even giggle, like, in my just discomfort. It's this response I have that's awful, and um, my husband, on the other hand, is just one of those people who have been blessed by God who can really calmly steer conversation in a different way or diffuse it somehow, and I have caught myself on a number of occasions when that conversation gets starts to go off the deep end, like turning my face to him with my eyes wide open, like with this pleading look that says, you got to help us out here. you got to help us out here. And he always does. And um, I am so thankful for that. And probably I should work on being more subtle from now on, because <laughs> I'm sure everybody at the table sees me do it. Um, but it's better than giggling inappropriately when I'm not supposed to. When Daniel needed help, he turned his face to God because he instinctively knew that's where his help would come from. He read the word and he prayed. When we are in trouble, we can turn our faces to God. And when we are hurting, we can turn our faces to God. And when we are at a loss for what to do next, we can turn our face to God. And he is always there. God has initiated a conversation with Daniel through his word that explains that the end is nearing for this oppression of Israel at the hands of foreigners. Daniel immediately responds to God when he begins to understand this with great feeling. His wearing sackcloth and ashes were a sign of sorrow and contrition and a repentant spirit uh, because of the sins of Israel. His people have failed God miserably. They've suffered because of it. His purpose in praying is clear. He is confessing the sins of his people, and he is pleading with God for mercy. He begins his prayer with worship. That's a great place for us to begin our prayers as well. He focuses not on himself and his suffering or the situation, but on the face of God. There are many different names for God throughout the Bible. The name that Daniel uses here in a number of times throughout this prayer in the original language is Adonai. It's a variation of the name Yahweh, and it emphasizes God's authority, his exalted position uh, before all of creation, and also um, the aspect of his character that he is a covenant-keeping, a promise-keeping God that follows through on what he says he will do. So what does God, Daniel recognize as he worships God? He recognizes that God isn't like man, that he and he alone is great and awesome. It's clear that Daniel knows the books of Moses in addition to um, the prophets and Jeremiah. His words here closely echo Deuteronomy 7.9. Look with me at that on your verse sheet. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Daniel was prompted to pray when he was spending time in the scriptures, and he uses God's word as the basis of his entire conversation throughout this prayer. After he locks in on God's rock-solid faithfulness and love, 
Daniel, with a heavy heart, admits the sins of his people. And point by point, he speaks aloud to God what God already knows to be true, that his people have blown it. When God patiently and graciously sent the prophets to turn their hearts back to him, they willfully chose not to listen. Their responsibility for their sin lied, lied, was with, first with the leadership who should have steered their people in a better direction, but then down to each individual person. And I have been so convicted as I have studied this prayer at the total lack of excuses that Daniel offers for the sins of his people. It made me realize how often, at least in my own mind, I give myself excuses for why I have sinned. Well, God, I know I was really a jerk to my husband and kids this morning when we were getting off to school, but you know I haven't been sleeping well, and when I tried to put on my jeans this morning, they were too tight to button. That makes everybody crabby. My computer crashed today. I didn't get any work done. I'm behind in everything. I know I blew it, but I've had a hard time. Daniel offers no excuses. He was truthful about himself and his God, and though surely it was deeply unsettling to do so, I think he really allowed himself to feel the weight of his sin without trying to brush that off and of the sins of the people. Daniel's words show his humility and his great love for his flawed people. Over and over, Daniel says, we have sinned. Shame belongs to us. And here's the thing. Daniel wasn't even alive when the people were rebelling, um, when the generations of his ancestors were turning their back on God. He wasn't the one who set up alliances with foreign nations. He was just a kid when Jerusalem was sacked, and he got carried off to learn this whole other um, culture and life away from anything he would have ever known. He was denied what um, should have been his life among his people and in his home. And he personally has trusted and obeyed God in hugely faithful ways, even in the middle of those very uh, difficult circumstances. And because of that, I think he could have made the argument that none of this was his fault, that this was someone else's problem to deal with, that he would just stay out of the fray, do his job well, let things fall out as they would. He would take care of his own life, and they could take care of their, theirs or I think he could have come at this situation very self-righteously and prayed very piously for those sinners over there, those people who should have been behaving better all along anyway, and who, even if he wouldn't say it out loud, maybe you're kind of getting what they deserve. Instead, Daniel displays astonishing humility. He associates himself 23 times in this prayer with the sins of his people. There was no us and them. There was only we. So how does he do that, given his own personal history? I think it could be that he had looked very intently in his studies of the Scripture and in his own life as he has walked with God, and he has seen God's perfection and holiness come into very sharp focus. And when that happened, his own sinfulness in comparison became clear. Daniel doesn't compare himself to the others around him. He compared himself to God, and so he was able to identify fully with his people. He understood that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and he identified with his people well at that level. So let's continue reading. Let's pick back up um, Daniel's prayer in verse 11, and we'll go down to 15. 
All Israel had transgressed your law, has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for their Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, for we and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, um, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. In this portion of prayer, Daniel acknowledges that God's judgment against Israel is justified, and his his, his basis for that conclusion is scripture. He knows what was written in the law of Moses. Well before the people made the choices they made, those incredible blessings that would come from obedience and the curses that would come from disobedience were um, well known. Humbly accepting God's right to judge his people is a real mark of spiritual maturity, and Daniel shows that here. God is holy sovereign and good. And sometimes he rescues us from um, our own poor choices incredibly graciously. And sometimes he allows us to suffer because of our own sin. Read Proverbs 3 with me on your verse sheet. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father and as a father, the son in whom he delights. Also look down at the next verse in Hebrews. For they disciplined us a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Instead of getting angry with God when our sin causes life to be hard, let's confess that sin, know that as Christ followers, we are forgiven, and call on him to help us make the situation right, um, to walk with him in repentance um, and obedience and submission. Daniel refers back to his understanding of the scriptures and laments over the fact that the current suffering hasn't turned the people back to God as he wished it would. Um, They aren't there yet, but he gets it, and that motivates him to pray on their behalf. It's really an act of great compassion for people who should be praying for themselves um, but aren't. Daniel loves his people well. Notice in verse 12, Daniel says, He has confirmed his words, meaning in the book of Moses, God laid out what the law was and what his expectations were and what would happen when that was obeyed or not obeyed. Um, And events have played out exactly as he said they would. It's um, a great reminder that God's word can always be trusted. I think it's a great faith-building experience to notice when you're reading scriptures, those places where God makes promises and he does what he says he will do. Beginning in Genesis, God made promises to his people. He follows through on them exactly as he said he would. There were many prophecies about 
the coming Savior that have been fulfilled exactly as God said they would be. In the New Testament, I think of the many promises of peace and protection when we walk in obedience with him. God's word is trustworthy. Look with me at Psalm 119. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. All of God's word is true. In verse 15, Daniel calls out again. He recalls when God has rescued his people in the past. God miraculously had brought plagues on Egypt when the people had been enslaved there, and he was ready for uh, his people to be set free. He parted the Red Sea miraculously as they escaped, being released from this foreign captivity. Going back home would be something the people would only be able to experience if God worked on their behalf. They're in no condition to pull off a military coup themselves. So Daniel looks back and remembers at a time when God has acted in a similar way and trusts and believes that God can do that again. So as Daniel prepares to make this request of God, he goes back and he recalls those situations. Um, It's something that only God could and would do. Let's continue reading in verses 16 through 20. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's face is still turned to God. He has confessed the sins of his people. He has agreed with God that his judgments against them are justified. And now Daniel pleads with God to act. What makes his request so remarkable is how God-centered rather than self-centered they are. Daniel paints a picture of Jerusalem's reputation before the rest of the world, and it is bleak. Jerusalem is the capital city of God's people. The reputation of of the city of Jerusalem would be synonymous with the reputation of the people. When all the pagan nations associate the word Jerusalem with ruin and shame and with powerlessness, they're also associating Daniel's God with powerlessness and ruin and shame. Daniel knows firsthand, remember the lion's den, and through his knowledge of scriptures that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, and that he is ever-present. And I think he just can't stand it that the world doesn't see his God the way he really is. Daniel does not ask for his own reputation to be fixed. He asks for God's reputation to be fixed because that is what he cares about the most. Daniel loves God more than he loves himself. He desires that God's name be great among the nations because he knows that his God is worthy of that praise. 
He's lived his own life in courageous obedience. And when he did, the Babylonians and the Persians around him took notice of that. There were times in the stories that come before this prayer that they actually acknowledged the power and might of God, of Daniel's God. They saw Daniel's willingness to put his own life uh, on the line to worship and to obey. You know, as Christians, we bear the name of Christ before the world. And whether we want to be or not, we are his reputation bearers. Like Daniel, we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live lives of faith before an unbelieving world. Look with me at Matthew 5, 16 on your verse sheet. This is probably familiar to many of you, but it's a great reminder. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Like Daniel, we can pray for God's reputation and honor to be great. Like Daniel, we can choose to live lives of obedience before the world. And one of the things I've noticed as I pray for certain people and situations is that the more I will choose to discipline myself to pray for that particular situation, the more I begin to care about it. And the more I care about it, the easier it is to pray. And then the more I pray, the more I care about it. And it's a great cycle to have going there. Daniel prayed for his people, and he cared about his people. And so he prayed for his people, and he cared about his people more deeply. Daniel's humility shines again in verse 18 when he says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. It's okay to have nothing to bring before God but your need for forgiveness. Daniel couldn't offer God the people's worthiness because they weren't worthy. He approaches God based on his mercy and grace. Look with me at Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And the next verse, for you, O God, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. When we trust that Jesus died, to pay for our sins, we are fully and forever forgiven. It's okay to bring your need before God. As Daniel begins to close his prayer, he ends with this very powerful and direct appeal. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary. Incline your ear and hear. Forgive. Pay attention and act. These verbs reflect Daniel's very deep understanding of who God is. These verbs reveal both the personal side and the very powerful side and mighty side of God. We make an effort to see and to hear those we're in close relationship with. To forgive and to act is something that only God could do. Daniel knows his God to be both big enough to relate to him on this personal level and to direct the outcome of history. It's a great reminder because that's our God too. These verbs to hear to pay attention and to act are also very non-specific. How many times do we look at a problem? Oh my goodness, I did so many times myself. Work out in our own heads how we think the problem should be solved and then go to God with that solution and ask him to bless that solution. Instead of offering his own solution for exactly how the people would get to go back home to escape their oppressors, Daniel trusts God to do what he thinks is best. 
He does not attempt to dictate God's specific behavior because he knows that God is God and he is not. And it's absolutely okay to ask specifics of God, but a wise woman will also present her needs and and the desires of her heart before God with open hands and choose to, to trust him while he acts the way he sees best knowing that his ways and his plans are better than anything we could ever come up with. Remember that this prayer was prompted when Daniel realized that those 70 years of captivity were coming to a close. So I want to point out here that even though Daniel knew that that prophecy from Jeremiah could be trusted, he actually prayed and asked God to act in accordance with his word anyway. Thomas Constable wrote this in response to Daniel's prayer. Daniel did not view prayer as unnecessary in view of the certainty of the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. He viewed prayer properly as one means that God uses to accomplish his will in human history. As we read our Bibles, we come across many promises of God. And following in the footsteps of Daniel, we can build our prayers on those promises too. We can stop and pray and ask for God um, to... And in anticipation of those promises, ask for God to act and ask for God to fulfill those promises. In some mysterious way, we get to be a part of God accomplishing his will on the earth. That is hard to understand and believe, but what a great privilege to get to be a part of. When we use the scriptures to guide our prayers, we can also know for sure that we are praying according to God's will. You'll never go wrong praying according to the scriptures. Daniel's heart for his God and his people shine through in this last line of the prayer. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. He loves his God. He loves his people. It was Daniel's heavy heart that led him to God's word. And what he found when he went there is that God himself begins a conversation with us there. It's God who initiates a conversation with us in prayer through his word. And isn't that the most remarkable and astonishing thing? The stories and the history and the poetry and the gospels and the letters in the New Testament, all God talking to us about who he is and how much he loves us. Even more remarkably, it is not a one-sided communication. We get to respond to him as we pray Whether we are in times of plenty or in times of trouble, it is prayer that gives us vision and hope. And as we're talking to God about his word, we rest in the knowledge that he is good and he is in control and we need not worry. There's a great epilogue to this story. Look with me on your verse sheet at um, the verses that come immediately after this prayer in Daniel 9.20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. 
God didn't even wait for Daniel to finish talking to him before he responded. Be encouraged by that tonight. God hears our prayers and he responds to them. Look with me at Psalm 145. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. God is ready to answer our prayers of faith. Let's go to him now. Father God, you are so good. We praise you because you're mighty and you're powerful and you are just and you are merciful and you are patient and you are kind. I'm asking you tonight to give each of us a heart for your word and a heart for your people. I thank you for allowing us the privilege of studying together, of studying your word. I thank you that you hear us as we pray that we are never alone because of that. I pray that we would be women um, who reach out to you in prayer and who trust so deeply um, and rest so deeply in the fact that you speak to us through your word. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.